0: Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here. It's great to be with you on this chilly morning. A bit of good news for our church family: uh, the Stephens, Quinn, and Sadie, uh, June and Sky. Welcome to new baby sister uh, on Friday at 12:30. Eden Noel was born. I think eight pounds, eight ounces, and everybody's healthy as far as I know. So, we're encouraged to hear that. Long time coming, and excited to meet her. And we'll. Uh, be getting, uh, if, not, if someone hasn't already, we'll be getting stuff together for a meal train to feed the Stephens while they adjust to baby number three. They have to go from man to man to zone now in their parenting strategies, so we'll pray for them. Well, today, it's a little bit of an in-between sermon series kind of Sunday, and I wanted to take some time to talk about uh, this phrase that I say all the time, uh, the good life with God. And just kind of dive into this, this psalm that we just read here, and kind of consider what the good life with God is, what it looks like. Um, it's something that I say all the time, and one of, those, one of the liabilities of that is that I can assume that we're all on the same page with what that means, to live the good life with God. And you know what happens whenever you assume something. I'm not going to complete the phrase. You know what happens. So we're going to look at the good life with God, uh, and there's just so many texts. It was so hard to pick a text to, to look at this morning, but Psalm 16 is just really sweet, and uh, the, the flow of it, I think, makes it uh, clear uh, what, what the good life with God entails and how we get into it and all that stuff. We're going to look at three things there in your bulletin. We're going to look at the gateway into the good life with God. We're going to look at the lifestyle, what the lifestyle looks like living the good life with God, and then we're just going to revel in a little bit of the riches uh, of what it what it the experience of the good life with God is actually like start we'll kind of define our terms two things the good life with God is the human flourishing that we can only experience in an intimate relationship with him it's the human flourishing that we can experience in an intimate relationship with God the key components there are human flourishing and then an intimate relationship with God. So we see both of these things uh, happen and are necessary in the good life with God. There's got to be uh, an intimate relationship. There's a with. That, that preposition is huge. With God. And the result is, is human flourishing. I think of these terms, human flourishing can be really helpful. One, it's what we all want. We all want to flourish. None of us want to eke by. I think we can look all over our culture and see all these different, uh, all these different teachers and science and religions offering out human flourishing. So the good life with God is saying that the good life, capital T-G-L, the only life that we are meant to live can only be experienced in an intimate relationship. It's also a very relational thing. The second thing to define as this good life with God, I would say, is the point of life. It's the reason why we exist. The point of life is to experience it with God in this intimate relationship. Really, what this is, is fleshing out what it means to glorify God we could also say the point of life is to glorify God. But we're fleshing out what that means, is that we glorify God when we're experiencing life with him in an intimate relationship, and we're flourishing. If I was going to uh, sh- share the glory of being married to Camille, and I came up here all haggard and raggedy and said, it's tough some days, but I do it out of willpower. That's not glorifying her or honoring her. And so we see that our joy, our flourishing, as we experience life with God, it's one of the key ways that we, that we glorify God. And then further than that, one of the ways that we glorify God is that we uh, actually uh, enjoy Him. It's not that we eat good food and say, thanks, God. Though that's a big part of it, is that we actually enjoy the goodness of God. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Human flourishing in an intimate relationship with God. And we get to these things that I'm really excited about. I tend to uh, get all, all tongue-tied, just like there. That, that, was, a, that was an example. Uh, so I'm going to try to stick to the script. Uh, but my prayer is that w- what would be triggered here is our affections and our desires, our wants and our longings. Because there is doctrine, there is truth and theology that the good life uh, requires. In order to live the good life with God, we have to know. But at the end of the day, the good life with God... Is, is, a, is an affection. It's where those doctrines and theologies, they get down deep into our soul and we begin to experience it. It's like having kids. If you know the science of how kids are conceived and born and the human development that happens and the practical life changes that you can expect once you add a child to your life and you read books on what you're going to do in all these different scenarios, and you, if you were to reduce parenthood down to that, that would be a bummer. You would miss just the ocean of affection and love and desire and joy that comes with kids. And you need both of those things. Hopefully you're thinking about, you know, adding a kid to your life. If you're going to add a kid to your life, you're thinking about it. Eyes open. But sometimes I wonder if we approach our relationship with God not so much like a relationship, but like it's a, a class in high school we, with our with our brains and our willpower. I'm going to commit to study, and I'm going to figure them out. And we leave our hearts and our desires on the shelf. But I want us to come to God like we would come to Disney World, there might be long lines. It might cost us a lot. It might be hot. But we're there to experience joy. We're there there to, to have pleasure. Forevermore, our psalm says. Psalm 16 is written by David. He's a pretty f- famous guy in the Bible. And he's known for being the man after God's own heart. It's a beautiful reputation. It's, it's one that gets at the affections. He's wrote some of those beautiful language we have in Scripture in terms of intimacy with God. But when you look closer at his life, it's crazy because there's a ton of messed up, messed up stuff in his life. Adultery, murder, huge family conflict, war, all kinds of stuff. So he was far from perfect. But we see that he was experiencing to some degree, a large degree, the good life with God because his heart was with God in an intimate relationship. He treasured God. So let's dive in to the gateway. How do we get in to the good life with God? There's three things, kind of four things. Look at me in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. The first thing that we see To how to experience this good life with God is trust. There's no way to experience the good life with God without trust. Even within our working definition, an intimate relationship, you can't have an intimate relationship without trust. David's going to God for his refuge. He's trusting him. I'm not saying an intellectual idea, in the idea of God, or acknowledging that God exists. Rather, it's the the kind of trust that a child has with his mom or his dad. The first person he goes to when he's scared or he's hungry or he's happy or he's overwhelmed. And just like a trusting child, a well-loved trusting child, we experience peace. It's kind of one of the telltale signs of that growing trust is that there's some real, tangible, take-it-to-the-bank peace in our souls. And then we read this psalm, praise God, in the context of all of Scripture. So we know ultimately that God, we can trust Him to be our refuge when it comes to our sin, from our guilt and our shame, the fear that if we are really known, we'd be rejected and cast out. When David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge, this acknowledges our spiritual poverty, the need for God to provide safety and escape from our sin and the judgment we all deserve. And we can trust God. We know we can trust him. Not just because what it says in his word, but because what his word in the flesh, Jesus, has done for us. Jesus has become our refuge. Jeff mentioned it in his prayer. Not only are we forgiven, but we're covered. We're covered by the blood of Christ as a refuge. And this trust naturally leads us to the next thing. Look in verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. There's high walls around the good life with God. The next thing we see is submission. Submission we got trust, super hard and scary. Submission, maybe harder and even more scary. The only way into the good life with God is to submit to Him as Lord of our lives. It's tricky because there's nothing in life that we can fully submit to and have it always go well with us. but we see that God is our trustworthy refuge, then naturally, wouldn't we submit to Him as Lord? If we can acknowledge that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we don't have anything to bring to the table, then we can say, okay, what you say goes. And we're not okay on our own, and we look to our lack, our brokenness, and we say, okay, you are Lord. I am not. When I'm in the driver's seat, I crash every time. So I'm going to stop doing it and let you do it. David says, I have no good apart from you. And listen, David can say that with some gravitas, with some weight. Because homeboy didn't just cruise through life with a trust fund. He spent over a decade running for his life unjustly. He was, Saul wanted to kill him. He was hiding in caves, going without food because he was trying to do the right thing. But even in that suffering, David could say, You are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. I would take you in a cave than not you in a palace. That's submission to to the goodness of God. It doesn't mean we like the hard stuff, or we pretend to like it, or we fake it, or we aren't allowed to be sad. It just means that we've trusted God to be our refuge, and then we say okay to Him. We let Him be Lord. But there's just no way to experience the good life with God, to flourish an intimate relationship with God if He's just a consultant that, that we check in with every now and then. We do it our way as, as long as it's working okay, and then when we get stuck, we ask Him, like we do with Google. But instead, it's, He's Lord, and we look to Him first and last, and we say okay. And these, uh, this trust and submission, these are two personal things. Look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. This points us beyond ourselves into what? To the saints in the land. The third part of the gateway into the good life with God is community, deep relationships with the saints, with God's people. The saints in the land are simply God's people. Other people who have trusted God and submitted to him, to his lordship. Saints don't mean that they're like special holy people that we could pray to or we don't get like a day of the year or become the patron saint of like bicycling or something like that. It turns out to be a saint means that we've just accepted God as our lordship, that we've trusted him. We've let ourselves be dressed in Christ's righteousness. And it's so crazy the words that David uses here. He says, Delight. They are my delight in whom is all my delight, the saints in the land. The good life with God can only be experienced within the community of saints. These aren't like special categories of varsity Christians or special holy people, just people who've trusted and submitted, realized their deep need of God and said okay to him. We see that the good life with God cannot be lived alone. There's not, there's just no space in Scripture to say, I love God, but not His people. I'm all about Jesus, but I don't care about the church that He came to die for. What does this mean to delight in the saints? If We're experiencing life with God. We want to enjoy Him forever. We want to give Him glory. What does it mean to do do that by delighting in the saints. Well, I think quite practically, this means that we as a community of saints, we boast in our weakness to testify to God's strength, to what He's doing. This is the type of community I believe every human craves where we where we can boast in our weakness. We can let other people see the mess and then see God be strong. One of the joy of my lives, of my life, is walking with young men and seeing, seeing them take their lives seriously, specifically in the area of pornography. The stats are true, then 97, 98% of guys struggle with this to some degree. And it can just be so addicting. It can just become normal. And I'll tell you what, it's a delight to see men who have been walking around in the fog, the guilt and the shame and relationship-destroying aspect of pornographies, and then by grace, through some really gnarly openness, some really humbling transparency, see God begin to save them from it. It always requires a painful come-to-Jesus moment. But it's a delight because we're seeing miracles happen. People don't kick that kind of thing just by flipping a switch. That's just one example. We can see all kinds of things that as we grow deeper in our community here, as we know each other better, we share our hearts more, we get more comfortable sharing that this is where I struggle. This is what I need prayer for. And then we get checked in with and we can share, this is how I see God growing me. It's a delight because it's, it's real miracles right in front of us as we see God transforming people. And then we can also testify to God's transformation in our own heart. Notice the delight in the saints. It comes not from the saints being perfect and not struggling, but actually the opposite. It's being quick to repent, quick to own the struggle, which brings us to the last part of the gateway in verse 4. the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply the drink offerings of blood i will not pour out or take their names on my lips repentance is the last part of the gateway into the good life with god it means a turn here we see david saying sorrows for those who run after other gods little g gods are only going to increase you're not going to flourish running after little g gods in this context, we see that it was pretty clear what the little g gods were. They would have names and temples and apparently some kind of uh, ritual involving drink offerings of blood. But we in our culture, we have that same issue. We have all kinds of little g gods. We might not call them that, but we can have comfort as a little g god, or money, or work, or people's opinion. And all these little g-gods offer their own version of the good life. But instead of the good life with God, it's the good life with money. It's the good life where everybody likes you. We see the Bible says that trouble grows there. Sorrows increase. So the only way to fight the little g-gods in your life is to be quick to repent of them. I find my heart drifting towards work. I find my heart just fantasizing about having all kinds of money. I find my heart thinking that my kids were different than I would finally be accepted. So there's this quick to repent of little G gods. And David says he won't do anything even close to participating in that. won't even say their names. This is him looking at his life and saying, I want the good life with God, so how can I turn? How can I repent? How can I cut out everything? How can I get nerdy about anything that might cause me to run after a little G-God? What boundaries can I put into place? And we see that his motivation is not to make himself righteous or make himself acceptable. It's to get to Disneyland. It's to get to the joy and to the pleasure of the good life with God. So he's like, I'm not even going to say their names. I'm not going to participate even in the the rituals. (coughs) We can see how rules can help us in the good life with God. Help us get there. They're tools. They don't make God love us more or accept us more. But I'm a fan of them. Fan of boundaries that would keep us running after the good life with God. This brings us to the lifestyle. What does the lifestyle of the good life with God look like? Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Both of these verses, 5 and 6, they use inheritance language the chosen portion the beautiful inheritance that that's all language that would have been very common in this time and it's really beautiful because inheritance is not where you get a check from an uncle and it's just a lump sum when someone passes away but instead inheritance was what sons would get in order to survive it'd be like inheriting a field or a flock of sheep or a blacksmith shop It was like your livelihood. It was the only way that you could survive. And what David is saying is, this is my portion. God is my portion. This is what I'm going to survive on. It's my inheritance, my livelihood. And I just think this is so beautiful. The good life with God is like land that we inherit to cultivate and survive on. And I think that really captures a lot of the nuances here because first, by inheriting it, what, what do you do to inherit something? Nothing. You're just born. And then you inherit it as a child. We just receive it because we've been born into God's family. The lifestyle of the good life with God is one where we receive our daily bread with grace. Just like if you received some land, you'd work it each day to survive but it would be by grace you receive the land, by grace you receive any food that would come out of it. If you listen carefully, this is one of the greatest tensions in the Christian life. Grace-based effort. It is a gift, and it requires work. We don't earn it, but we work for it. It's mind-melting, but again... I believe God designed farming so that we could understand grace-based effort. You work hard as a farmer, but then they miraculously grow according to God's design. This is the, the lifestyle of the good life with God, where daily we're experiencing this grace, daily we're cultivating it, and then we're receiving for free the good life with God. Now next we see uh, that the Lord God, he gives counsel. We see that there's an educational component of this. And what I want us to think here is not so much of Scripture being, being like a manual. Like, oh, my three-year-old is doing this. What should I do? Let me look for this in the, in the back of it. But instead, what we see is that the Lord counsels us into reality. Ultimately, that, that is what good counsel is. Like, here's what's true. Here's what the options are. And this brings us into part of the details of what David does to keep, uh, to keep cultivating the inheritance. He says, look in uh, verse, verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So David's not running after little g-gods. He's cultivating his inheritance by dwelling on the Lord. He's not just checking in with God on Sundays. Instead, he's saying, I'm keeping my portion always before me. If Jesus is Lord of our lives and we receive counsel from him, we let him have the say in every part of our life, our work, our food, our money, our kids, our sexuality. We receive counsel as we go about our lives, keeping keeping God before us. When we feed our toddlers, we say, what is God inviting me into? As I do this pointless task at work, what is God inviting me into? As I have a fight with my spouse, what does Jesus have to say about it? What is he showing me about my own heart? In order to do that, we need to know God, what he's like, receive counsel from him. The, good, the lifestyle of the good life with God is this grace-based effort where we're daily drawing our survival from God and setting Him before us in all things. We, ask, we can ask the question, why don't all Christians experience the good life with God all the time, right now? And it's this, this idea of setting the Lord always before us. What are we dwelling in? What vision of the good life are we pursuing? Is it good life with God or is it a little g God? Let's close with the riches of the good life with God. Look with me in verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can we just savor the beauty of, of verse 11 there. This is the path of life, the fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore. Now it's important to see that the good life with God begins now. This is not something that we pray a prayer and then we just have it in our bank account and we wait till we die to go to heaven to get it. But we can begin to flourish now. We can experience intimacy with God now. We can begin to experience this path of life right now. As we receive counsel by the power of the Holy Spirit, led to consider every aspect of our lives, how we might be able to bring them under the loving rule of King Jesus. Notice how he prays in in verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. David's not talking about some kind of ethereal, supernatural wellness, but instead he's talking about uh, even my flesh, my whole being rejoices. This is our emotions, our physical health, our spiritual health, our relational health. The path of life, human flourishing, is this holistic thing. And when we, whenever we separate it, whenever we, we break it down into just this spiritual thing I do on Sunday and then I manage everything else on my own, that's when things go wrong. <coughs> for example, do we pray for health concerns as a church, but then just trash our bodies with junk food and sedentary living throughout for years? We say, we will do it until it breaks down. But this path of life here becomes more and more clear the longer that we keep God before us and let the Holy Spirit convict our hearts. We can experience in God's presence is the fullness of joy. And this side of heaven, we'll never fully experience God's presence, but we've experienced some of it. So we can experience this joy, and then someday we'll experience God's presence fully. And then there's pleasures forevermore. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you've ever wondered why heaven, why people want to get to heaven, like what are, what are we really going to do there? What does it mean to like praise God for forever? What are we going to do for eternity? Why does it take so long? Well, in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to spend eternity diving into these pleasures forevermore. We can begin now experiencing all these pleasures of knowing God, what his mercy is like, what his beauty is like, what his justice is like, and we'll just keep doing that for forever. We can spend 10,000 years just experiencing the beauty of God and not even get to the bottom of it and then switch to another one of his attributes. Everything we enjoy now, every pleasure you have ever known in your life is just a hint of the shadow of the true pleasure of knowing God. That's why joy and pleasure exist, to point us to the God who designed it all. And the crazy thing is, is that the pleasures we might experience here on earth are just shadows of the real thing. The delight we have in our children, the pleasure of good food or sex, or the sweetness of sleep when we're tired, satisfaction of working hard and completing tasks. All these are just hints of the shadow pointing us to the pleasures that we can experience in the good life with God in his character. As it typically happens when I pick a text, I'm like, oh, this will be good for a sermon, and then there's like three months' worth of sermons in there. So this is an overview in the good life with God. But if you hear nothing else, hear the invitation from God to turn, turn from little g, God's, giving you a vision of the good life they can't deliver and won't satisfy. Instead, turn to experience the good life with God through the grace of his son, Jesus. Let me pray.